and just caught her in the middle of the ambulance being called and she was struggling for breath, she couldn't speak and um, I wasn't able to, to talk to her really and she just said that she loved me, she had to go put the phone down. She was taken to the hospital, um, she had a heart attack that night, they found fluid in her lungs, she, she, she's in her 90s and um, you know it was kind of touch and go for 24 hours, 48 hours. She rallied a little bit but basically they've, they've moved her into uh, um, the, the, the ward that she's awaiting death really end of life ward um, there's nothing they can do they can't even operate or do anything because of the anaesthetic she wouldn't be able to, to take it and so you know I was thinking about that and she's not saved she's not saved I've witnessed her you know those of you that I'm, I'm sure have talked about her from the pulpit before and, and um, you know I'm, I am close to her because you know I lost my mother when I was 18 and, and she, she was my mother's mother and um, she, she's kind of the last connection to that side of the family really she's been a mother to me in, 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 in my life certainly when I've needed her she's been a help to me and I wanted to be a help to her and I wasn't able to, to share and um, now the Lord has graciously graciously uh, kept her to the point where um, I can go over um, on Tuesday I'm going over flying over on Tuesday for the day um, Paul and Christine are going to come with me um, but in Northern Ireland it's quite quite strict in terms of getting into the hospital so even her son couldn't get in it was only a nominated person but pastoral privilege goes a long way especially in Northern Ireland so I've got an appointment to go and see her and so when I was thinking about this as you do when these things happen because you don't know what life brings do you you just don't know what tomorrow brings and 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 you always think with somebody like that you know I I wish I'd have said this or I wish you'd have said that. And, and you, your mind kind of thinks like that. Whenever you, you, you know, you're on the cusp of losing somebody that you love that's not saved. I wish I'd have said this to them. Because I know that their time on this earth is short. But I started to think about this in, in kind of the reverse mentality. And what do I mean by this? Here's what I mean. I mean, what if I knew that today was my last day? What would I want to say to other people? Rather than, you know, thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, I'm losing somebody, I wish I'd have said something to them last week. But just thinking about if I knew today was going to be my last day, you know, if the Lord had had given me some revelation, and I'm not saying that he would do this, but if he did, uh, hypothetically speaking for the context of the sermon, he said, you know, in prayer this morning, he said to me, uh, Kevin, you know, I'm going to take you today. I'm going to take you home. Uh, today's going to be your last day. You know, what would you say? What, would you, what, 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 what are you going to do with it, knowing that your time is, is short? Because the thing is, for each and every one of us, we don't know if today is going to be our last day, do we? No, none of us can say with certainty that we even have another five minutes. Um, when I was younger, I, I still, when I say when I was younger, I still play computer games. I know people say, oh, 40-year-olds shouldn't be playing computer games. I enjoy playing computer games. It's a little disconnect for me. Okay, you like playing computer games, Colin? No, he doesn't. Ah, he was smiling there, so I thought I had somebody with me, but but not. And there, there used to be this game when I was younger called Lemmings. I don't know if any of you ever remember this. And and the little game Lemmings, there were you know the 
obviously after the animal. But basically, when when you used to play this game, you had to uh, try to rescue all these little 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 lemming characters that would go across the screen. But one of the little things you could do, you could get them, you could turn them into like, like little. They would dig or they would build a bridge to safety or whatever. But one of the things you used to be able to do with them is 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 bomb mode. And what you used to be able to do was click this little lemon, and then the countdown timer would start above its head, and it would walk, and it would go ten, nine, eight, till one, till it would explode and go poof. And, you know, some people get satisfaction out of exploding, things like that. But anyway, the point of the matter is that, that, that we can't see it, but each and every one of us this morning has a little timer over our head that our appointed time is counting down to. We just can't see it. For some of us, Lord willing, it's, none of us are going today. But we might, and we could. And so my thought was, you know, if, if we knew for certain that today was going to be our last day, what would we say? What would I say? If I knew this morning was the last chance I had in the pulpit to share a message, what would that message be? Would it be from Ezra, chapter 7? Probably not. What would I talk about? I talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. I talk about the gospel. I talk about what he's done for me and what he's willing to do for anyone that would come to him. And, and I'm, I was brought to, to this verse, Isaiah 55, verse 6, famous verse, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's a time element to this. Call upon the Lord while he's near. Seek him while he may be found. That means that that's not an eternal thing. There's a fixed period where you will not be able to call upon the Lord. There is a time coming when he won't be near. There is a time coming where, just as it was all those years ago when the ark was built and the cry went out that salvation was there, it was available, the way was open, that ultimately it would close and the judgment came and anybody outside of that ark, and again the ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, but anybody outside of that was lost, they they perished. So, this is what I want to talk about this morning. Maybe it is my last day, but I'm going to make the best of it, and I'm going to share Christ to you. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know him as Savior, I I don't know. You know, you may profess him as Savior, you may have convinced others that you know him as Savior, but deep down in your heart, you know that you don't. You know that you don't. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So, with the Lord's grace and His will, we'll uh, think about this this morning, and, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm going to preach as if this was my last time in the pulpit. I hope that it's not. I pray that it's not. But if it is, I want to finish on Christ. You know, Charles, uh, John Wesley, brother of Charles Wesley, of course. But John Wesley preached up and down the land. He was a preacher of God's word, no matter what you think about some of his his theology, but he preached the gospel, and he went up and down the land, and and he preached it. And his last sermon that he preached um, was on this text. The very last sermon that he preached in public was in this text, 1791. 
Uh, seek your Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. following day, he was put to bed uh, at, at his home, a very sick man, and he, and he never uh, recovered from that, and he was in his illness for, for a while. Um, it's said that during his illness, he often repeated the words of one of his brother's uh, hymns, which says, I, the chief of sinners, am, but Jesus died for me. His last words reportedly before he passed into eternity were this. The best of all is God is with us. And I think that's powerful. Powerful words from a powerful preacher of the past. That his last sermon, that his last opportunity to speak in public was on this text. Seek the Lord while he's near. Call upon him, sorry, while he's near. Seek him while he may be found. You see, Wesley had tremendous success, gospel success, because of this fact that he preached like a dying man to dying people. And that was the power in his message. He understood that nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. We as human beings take so much for granted. So much for granted. One of the things that we take for granted is the very beating of our heart. We don't get up in the morning and go, God, thank you for moving that heart one more time. But it's God that sustains us and holds us. Each and every person on in this world functions and breathes because God allows and gives. And no human being has the right to say, I've got tomorrow. You only have what God has given you now. And, and Wesley knew that. And he preached like that. He preached with power. And he preached with authority. Because he knew that he was a dying man. And he was preaching to dying people. And many, many, many thousands came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that man's ministry. And because of his message. He knew that, you know, what the Lord taught in Luke 12. That, you know, thou fool, this night thy soul may be required of thee. This day, beloved, your soul may be required of thee. This day, the Lord may call you home if you know him as Savior. This day. How many people woke up this morning and thought, this might be my last day on this earth? Uh, To be honest, I have because I've been preaching on it. But you didn't, did you? I'm sure you thought, well, it's Sunday, uh, you know, Go to the house of God, praise the Lord, meet the, the people of God. But uh, I've got some other things to do this afternoon. And, and, you know, I have to get things in order for Monday. I've got something happening this week or whatever it may be. And that's the focus of your mind. I think Wesley woke up every morning and thought, I've got one more chance to preach the gospel. And save people from eternal hell by pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the scripture is clear. We live in a world today where all this conspiracy theory rages and, and all these kind of things. You know, the, the, the technological age is upon us. There's no doubt about that. And things are moving. Things are changing. And, you know, there's all these kind of terms coming up, you know, transhumanism and, and cyborgs and how that people are going to be able to live for, for hundreds of years when we start to manipulate and move and add. God's word is God's word. And he has said that we have three score and ten anymore as a bonus. That's, that God will never allow all that to happen. We're not, we're not 
getting to the point where we're going to live longer. We're going the other way. This is what's really going to happen. This society is going to start to, 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 to fall. And we're seeing it now. Fall into recession and everything comes with that. We're not going to be living longer. We're going to be living less. So time isn't going to be more. It's going to be less. Absolutely. Because that's what God has said in his word. So if we take the fact that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And when I said that, not one of you disagreed with me this morning not one of us but each and every one of us lives like we have tomorrow Uh, for me honestly I'm thinking about my holiday in June who knows if I'll get to June who knows but we're preoccupied with what's ahead rather than what we've got now what's important what we should be about so you know, my question to you is, if you knew today was going to be your last day, what would you say? If I knew today was going to be my last day, what would I say? Well, if I had the pulpit, this is what I would say. The first thing I would do is tell people about my salvation. i tell them that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved my soul. That I have no doubt about that. That he once for all forever set me right before God. And I will say that no matter how I feel about that, no matter if there's days where I fall on my face and fall into sin, I am ever aware of the eternal security that God has given me, that he can never love me less or never love me more, that when he died in Calvary's cross, he died for me, that I know I'm a chief of sinners, but yet I know he is the God of grace that will never let me go. And no matter what you have in the world, you do not have that. Because everything in the world is temporal. It comes, it goes. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes into your life, he never leaves. He never leaves. Never leaves. Salvation is a wonderful thing. God has took me and he's changed me. And if I was to be speaking to the people that I love, uh, family that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what I'd say. I'd show them and say, look, you know me. You've seen me grow. You've seen where I was going. But you've seen the difference the Lord Jesus Christ has made in my life. And it hasn't been just a a flash in the pan. It hasn't been. Saved nearly 15 years now. And I've gone on and and, and give up things that that people would would lose their mind at. I've I've shared to you when I told my grandmother... That, that I was leaving my job, which was a, you know, a high-paid job with company cars flying all over the world, director of a company. When I said to her, I'm leaving that job, she said, oh, what are you going? Are you going to something better? No. I'm going to serve the Lord in a little ministry in Spalding. How much does that pay? Uh, 400 pounds a month. <laughs> what? Did they have a manse? Did they have a house? No. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. But the Lord Jesus Christ changed me. He changed my desires. Now he he doesn't stop. He's continuing to change me as I grow. I'm not perfect. Far from it. Hang around me enough. You'll find out that. But I'll say things at times that infuriate you. I'll do things and you say, why has that idiot done that? I'll lose my temper. I'm human. But God is changing me. And I would tell others about that change. And, and, and if I was in the place where I had no change to tell of, I would have to question, what am I doing with the life that Christ has given me? 
If you're thinking this morning that, well, I can't tell anybody, there hasn't been any change in my life. What's going on in your life? Is the Lord in your life? Now, it's not, we don't do this to, to show that we're saved, but when we're saved, the evidence of that should be a desire to grow. I absolutely believe if you're a born-again believer, you will produce spiritual fruit. It's just a question of how much, and not how much depends on how much you're willing to give the Lord and allow Him to use you. But if nothing's changed, you have to search your heart. What are you going to tell others if this was your last day? Oh, the Lord saved me and He's done. But the Lord saved me and, and gave me a new life. That person says, well, I, you haven't changed much in the 10 years that I've known you. You're still miserable. <laughs> You're still envious. You still do this. You still do that. You still behave in that way. What is it? What are you going to tell them? But it's your last day and you want to impact them for Christ, Right? You want to show them something. You want to show them the loveliness of the Savior. You want to show them the goodness of the Savior. You want to show them the grace of the Savior. You want to show them your love for the Savior. What did we look at last week with Ezra? A good leader knows the way, goes the way, shows the way. So the first part of, of my message, if this was my last sermon, would be to tell people about my salvation and how God is, is changing me, how God is merciful, that I'm not perfect. But God has put me on a path and, and each and every day I try to do more for him. But that doesn't affect his love for me. I don't work for his love. I work for his glory. That I can say to him, you save me and I am serving you because you are worthy, O worthy, O Lord. We sung it this morning. Thou art worthy. That's worship. Worthyship. So that will be the first part of my, my message. The second part of my message, if I knew this was going to be my last day, would be to tell everyone where I was going. I'd want to tell them that, you know, uh, don't weep for me. I'm departing this place, which is a nightmare, and I'm going to glory. I'm going to heaven. You know, I think believers sometimes are embarrassed to talk about this stuff. Because when you start to talk about the glories of heaven and the beauties of heaven, as you imagine it and the Bible reveals that sometimes you think, oh, this seems a little bit far-fetched and maybe you know, I should calm this language down. No. No, no, no. Rejoice. Rejoice in heaven. Be like the Apostle Paul, 1 Philippians chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is Again, don't weep for me. Death has no fear for me. And it doesn't. I don't fear dying. I fear leaving people behind that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ that I won't be able to witness to. 
I think about maybe if I was to leave now, that my, my kids would have to grow up and fend in this world. But thankfully, they know the Lord is their Savior, that I would see them again. Don't wait for me. I'd want to tell people that I'm confident to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. I want to say that with full assurity in their eyes because everybody outside of Christ, and maybe some even in Christ, will fear death. No matter how tough they are, no matter how big they are, no matter how uh, stone cold they seem in their hearts, when the, the, the chips are down, when they're faced with eternity, and they know something's not right, there's fear in their hearts. They used to call this the death cry. They used to call this the death cry. When people that were sick in their deathbed, you know, many years ago, before the advancements in medical, medical science and all that sort of stuff, that people that were hardened atheists, when they were brought to that very small window, when there is a uniqueness that happens in the death period, without a shadow of a doubt, if you've ministered at the bedside long enough, you will have seen this, where there is a, a, an almost a touching between the eternal and the temporal. And there's a, there's a sense that they know. That hardened atheists used to uh, cry out for mercy as they would head off to eternity. We live in a world today where people are so drugged up that you don't see that that often. But there is a reality there at that point. So when I go to witness to my grandmother, and I will witness to her, she can't put up the wall of pride. She knows she has to face what's ahead. And most people are petrified of that. That's why I, the, the old saying is there's no atheists in foxholes. That when everybody's up, backs up against it, they'll pray to a God that they don't believe in to save them. So the believer should be loud and proud to say that this earth is not my home. I'm a pilgrim passing through and that one day I will be in heaven. And then we should go on and we should show them from the Bible what the word of God says that heaven will be like. Because the Bible tells us that heaven is a place of rest. It's a place of rest. Who would like rest? All four of us. Would you not like rest? Come on people, you want to rest. Heaven is a place of rest. Eternal rest. Not just a weekend, because a weekend is never enough. Not just a, a weekend holiday, because that's never enough. But eternal rest. Turn to Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation 14 and, and verse 13. Revelation 14 and verse 13. Revelation 14 verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. Heaven is a place of rest. Eternal, perfect rest. This world is not a place of rest. Far from it. But heaven's a place of rest. It's also a place of rejoicing. And that's what we want to show people from the word of God. Turn to chapter 19 of Revelation. 
That's why Revelation is a great book to be preached in, in churches because it tells us the end of the story. It tells us what's to come, what lies ahead for the believer. And we shouldn't be shy about it. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. I believe that wife is the church, the believer. Let us be glad and rejoice. Heaven is a place of rejoicing. It's a place of rest. It's a place of rejoicing. It's also a place of resplendence. It's a place of great beauty that words cannot put in the, in the real terms what heaven will truly be like. We can only use our sanctified imaginations, but turn, turn to chapter 21 of Revelation and verse 10. 21 verse 10, and I love this. This is the new heaven, the new earth. This is what lies ahead. Verse 10 of chapter 21. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was on, like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone, uh, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and the twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east uh, three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations and the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he talked with me that had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. I want to say this is a, a physical place. It's, it's not some spiritual allegory because there are measurements there. This is a real structure. Verse 17, he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits according to the measure of man, that is of an angel. And the building of a wall of it was jasper, the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalstone, the fourth an emerald, the fifth a sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh a chrysolite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasis, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amstis, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was of pure gold, and it, and it were, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple Therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And here we think about the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem, and what a place. We can't even imagine what's going on here. But in verse 19, we're introduced to these precious stones, these precious jewels, and, and you know, there's a list there that are, are given. And there's 12 that are mentioned. And of course we have 12 stones associated with the 12 uh, tribes of Israel from the high priest breastplate. And we've been looking at that in Revelation on a Sunday evening. But the thing is with these stones that are mentioned here that are uh, part of the foundations in verse 19 of Revelation 21. 
Um, there's a uniqueness to these stones. There's a unique character to these stones. There are precious gemstones across the earth. I think there's just 28 or so. But of those 28, these 12, whenever you pass pure light through them, now I mean pure light, none of the light that we see is pure. It's polluted light. The light that we have now, it's polluted light. But when you refract, that's the process. When you, re- I sound very, like I, I know what I'm talking about here, but when you refract pure light through these, these gemstones, pure light is clear. When you, white light, when you, when you pass it through each one of these 12 gemstones, each one of these, now bear in mind there's 28 odd precious gemstones in the world, but not all of them do this. Very few of them have this quality. But all of these 12, you can go and Google this and you know, take it from secular sources. All of these 12, when you pass pure light through it, they refract the colors of the rainbow out the other side. Now, when you read this, try and even just imagine what's going on here. That pure light is going to be present here. Why do I say that? Because we read verse 23, didn't we? The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God did lighten it. Is that pure light? Absolutely it is. So the reaction of these stones in the new Jerusalem to the pure light will, will to be to reflect and, and, and push the colors of the rainbow. What is the rainbow? It's a symbol of God's covenant promise. So even this picture in heaven, this resplendent beauty that we'll see, will always be reminded in that place of the promise of God. We'll live in it in a place of rest. It'll be a place of rejoicing. It'll be a place of beauty. But even that beauty will point us towards the goodness of God. What a place heaven's going to be. Why would we not shout about that? Why would we not show others about that? Many people in this world want to show off their fancy properties, their beach houses or, or their holiday homes or whatever it is, and they put it on the TV shows to show how amazing their renovations are and all that sort of stuff. None of them, none of them, none of them come close to what God has prepared for us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Second part of my sermon, I tell people where I was going. Don't wait for me. I'm going to the best of the best of the best that God has prepared. George MacDonald, the Scottish preacher, right wrote that he was talking with his son one day and the conversation turned to the things of heaven and, and, and what has been revealed in the book about the place that we're going to. And, and his son said to uh, George, he said, it seems too good to be true. Um, a smile crossed MacDonald's face and he said, no, it's just so good, it must be true. Heaven is a place of rest of rejoicing, of resplendence. So I'd want to tell people where I was going. Because outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the place is not rest. The place is not rejoicing. And the place is not resplendent. The place is eternal torment. 
Oh, that's too harsh. God's a loving God. God has said what he said. And he will judge how he judges. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. Oh, but God is good. He would never send a sinner to hell. Because God is good. He has to. He has to. So I want to tell them about my salvation. I want to tell them where I was going. And then the final part would be an appeal to the lost. This is who I am. This is where I'm going. You can have this too. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, died upon Calvary's cross so that all may enter in. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. Whosoever means anybody. You can slice and dice and come up with any theological argument you want. But whosoever means whosoever. The pardon is achieved for all. Not all will receive. It won't be applied to all. You have to take what God has given you. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You just got to come to him in repentance and faith. And I want to tell people about that. Because some people think they're too bad for God to save them. Some people think they're too good to be needed to be saved. I want to tell them that the Lord is willing that none would perish. I tell them about sin. That it's deadly. That sin has separated us from God. And that there's no way back. None whatsoever. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell them. I wouldn't want to sugarcoat it. I wouldn't want to pretend that, you know, you've got time. You've got time. Think about it. Just take your time. Nobody has time. Nobody has time. I want to preach the cross as full payment for sin. It is finished. I've said it here. I've said it once. I've said it twice. I'll say it to my damn breath. Paid in full. Tetelestia is the Greek. Paid in full. From prisoners of that age, when they had their, their sentence uh, quashed, when they received a pardon, where they were let go or they'd served their time for the, the sentence they committed, they used to get a piece of paper and that was their validation if anybody questioned why they were out, why they were free. And written across that would have been tetelestia, paid in full. They didn't have to do anything else to earn that freedom. It was done. It was settled. That legality was taken care of. And that's Calvary's cross. When Jesus said that, he meant that. When he said paid in full, he said, it is done. Tetelestia, it's done. I've paid for it. But it's up to us whether we receive and take that. And when we do, when we do, we can't get rid of it. No matter how hard we try. Because God is gracious and he's merciful. And I want to tell people that as they stand before God without Christ, they're lost, but the Lord wants to save them. How amazing is that? That God would want to pardon us for our sins. I want to tell people about that. I want to tell them to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he was near. And you say, you know, preacher, that's not easy, especially with loved ones. Especially with family. I, I know. I get it. It's difficult. It is. It is difficult. 
But just because it's difficult doesn't mean we should stop. Now, we have to be wise. I understand that. We have to seek God in this. But we cannot stop. You know, I back in Stoke and the M6 is now back in my mind. The M6 disappeared out of my mind for a long time in Spalding. Didn't have to think about motorways in Spalding. If we had a dual carriageway, that was pretty amazing down there. But the M6, it's, you know, it's horrendous. So I had a blowout on the M6 last week, I think it was. And, and it's, it's wild. So I was saying on Wednesday night that most of the hard shoulders they've, they've took away now, which is just lethal. And, you know, you've got these juggernaut lorries coming down. And so the tyre went, thanks be to God, it was on the, on the near side. So it was, it was, and I was able to trundle along to get to kind of one of the little laybys that they have put in. Was able to get the, the tyre changed. But, you know, there's these juggernaut lorries flying down. Every time they pass, the car's shaking. I'm thinking, this, that M6 lethal. It's, it's lethal. It's lethal. And, you know, when you're in an accident, you're kind of meant to go across and stay away from it and get on the other side of the barrier, aren't you? And wait for recovery if that's what you're doing. Because it's dangerous. But, but think about this as, as an illustration. Think about that. You're, you're in, in, in on a trip, hypothetical, uh, with your family. And you have somebody in there uh, that you love. And, and you know, your, your car breaks down. You have to pull on to the, the M6. And uh, you get up and you, you get across the barrier. But for some reason, for some reason, your loved one starts to go the other way or starts to walk down the hard shoulder. And rather than getting to the place of safety, they start to put themselves into a place of danger and maybe it's maybe it's you know raining heavy or it's foggy there and they can't see where they're going but you can see because you've got maybe a higher position let me ask you what would you say to the person that's heading to danger what would your reaction be to them what would you say to them you turn around come back what if they didn't listen would you stop you would say no Come back. You're in danger. You're in terrible trouble. I know the way back. Here's the place of safety. Come back and you'll be safe. Stop going that way. That way is going to lead you to death. There's danger there. You may not be able to see it, but I can see from my position that there's a truck hurtling towards you that if it hits you, you are a goner. There is no hope for you. The question is, would you just stop after two or three attempts? Or would you give your all to call that person to safety? Beloved, that's the analogy for those that are lost. They are walking to danger. They don't know the way. You do. Why would you not tell them? Why would you not tell them? Why would you not share with them that there is a way to safety? Oh, they don't want to hear it. They still need to. If not from you, who? Now, again, we have to be sensitive to the spirits leading in this. Evangelism, we think it's our work. It's not, it's God's. And we have to be sensitive. But some of us have given up. I've given up. I know I've given up. And people in my family... 
I know that my grandmother I kind of given up on, honestly. I witnessed her before and it never, never seemed to go anywhere. And then I get the news this week and I'm like, Kevin, I need to share Christ. Not in a, in a force it down your throat type of way, but just in the way that I've laid out. Tell them what God has done for you. Tell them where you're going and tell them they can go there too. Don't let them go without knowing that. If today was going to be your last day, what would you say to those that you love? Now maybe the Lord's put somebody on your heart this morning. Pray about that and ask the Lord for the strength and the courage today to phone them, send them a message, whatever it may be, and say, do you know what? I love you. God loves you. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. God, God's changing my life. But that's not where you're going. And I want you to be there. And God wants you to be there. Share Christ with them today. Because you may not have tomorrow. Let's pray.